Steve Pomeroy, I think is his name. Okay. He was like, hey, I'm going to make a Magic 8-Ball app. Um, so oh. he wrote he wrote a MicroPython program for the Magic 8-Ball. So Were there any hidden... Uh, is, will people enjoy listening to this podcast? Most likely. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's uh, I'm going to flip the badge <laughs> over now. <laughs> I'm going to flip the badge yeah. over now, and, uh, and then I'll flip back up. Yeah. Was I a good guest? To have on this podcast that that's the question that i'm posing to the magic eight ball okay yes wow. oh look okay. at that <laughs> they're not all positive so we just got, <laughs> we just got lucky there but you're listening to this should work podcast session number 12 an interview with drew festini open source hardware designer at osh park co-creator of this year's open Hardware Summit badge, and an all-around awesome guy that you'll probably have met at maker fairs and other maker events because Drew's pretty much everywhere. Thanks for listening to This Should Work. Uh, If you enjoy this show and all of our other shows, please subscribe, like, and share, and all that other fun stuff on social media. Really get the word out for us so that we can share the love of tinkering, hacking, and making with others. All right, well, that's all I have to say about that. So without further ado, here is session 12 with Drew Festini. Okay, so this is session 12 of This Should Work. We've been going for three months now um, with uh, Drew Festini um, from so many things. So I don't know (laughs) which one to start with. And I, I, I seem to always get something wrong oh. <laughs> when I when I talk about what you know what you do but basically um, you're the glue in my mind that holds a lot of maker things together everybody knows Drew like that's a thing <laughs> that you know that um, you hear but you're on the let me okay the board of maker fair oh that well there's an advisory board for, yeah. for Bay Area and New York maker fair that was yeah. a new thing this year so that was yeah. um, there was like I think maybe 12 of us that helped to review submissions and yeah. the schedule for different uh, areas of our of our interests. So like for me, I helped out with the Make Electronics stage. Sure, because you're also at, uh, at the, uh, hard, hard, what would it be, hardware engineer at Osh Park? What, do you, what is your official title at Osh Park? Yeah, uh, open source hardware designer. So open I design uh, open source projects that people can build and yeah. work with other people on open source projects. Yeah. Um, so basically anything that uh, can use a circuit board yeah. or um, projects that I'm interested. Yeah. and working on and helping other people with. Um, so the, our main goal is <laughs> to um, get uh, ideas out there for people to build projects yeah. um, and uh, have a lot of, uh, we want to have a lot of examples out there of open source projects that people can take and yeah. modify and use for their own uh, use cases. This is great that you're doing the introduction for me because uh-huh. I, I couldn't even remember all of it. So, uh, a member of Pumping Station One. Yeah. Um, you just made all the badges for the Open Hardware Summit. Uh, is that correct too? Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. for for Osh Park. Yeah. Um, OSH Park, or yeah. Osh, I usually say Osh Park. Yeah. Um, some people say Osh Park, which is probably correct because technically Osh Park is an acronym for Open Source Hardware. Sure. Um, so Open, it would actually be Osh Park. I say it's Osh like Park. GIF or GIF or KiCad yeah. or KiCad. KiCad or KiCad. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, for our sponsorship of the Open Hardware Summit this year, which is an annual event, uh, conference around uh, people that are doing projects with uh, open source hardware, uh, yeah. we um, 
uh, sponsored uh, electronic conference badges for right. the for the summit this year. Right, and you designed. I mean, uh, or right. Or with a team. Yeah, there was a team of people. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know if we want to jump right into the badge or. Oh, that's a good. Uh, okay, why don't we hold off on? Let's okay. let's wait for that. Yeah. Um, did I miss? Uh, so I, I hope that. Yeah. So that I mean, so I, I work uh, full time for yeah. um, Osh Park, um, OSH Park, right. which is based in Portland, Oregon. Right. So I live here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're a PCB ordering service, so yeah. we uh, make two and four layer PCBs. Yep. Um, and we're all big fans of open source hardware. So yep. um, a lot of our customers also do open source projects, but not yep. exclusively. Um, so the reason for our name, um, because it's a bit of an unusual name, sure. is the service started um, many years ago, like 2009, um, yeah. out of an electronics meetup in Portland called Dorkbot. Uh, Dorkbot PDX for Dorkbot Portland because there's okay. Dorkbots in different cities. Like there's one that still happens in San Francisco. It's um, like a franchise or what is what's the? It's not a franchise. It was just, just like um, a thing. The, the the motto for Dorkbot is um, I think pe it's people doing strange things with electricity. Okay, um, I like so it. It's All basically right. a, a meetup for electronics enthusiasts. Yeah. Um, very much like a makerspace or a hackerspace, but without like a physical location. So okay. um, the one in Portland um, used to meet at like a bar, and then okay. now it meets at the hackerspace in Portland. Yeah. Um, actually, interestingly, so um, the bar that it met at was called Backspace, and then that, okay. I believe, closed down. And then a uh, hackerspace formed in Portland called Control H. So the, the name yeah. <laughs> being kind of uh, derived from the original establishment yeah. that they met in. And that still happens every other Monday night in yeah. Portland. Um, so back in 2009, a person that started our company, uh, uh, James Neal, or he goes by Lane, yeah. uh, which is Neal backwards, um, him and some other people realized mm -hmm. if they started combining their boards together, they could save money. Um, yeah. So when you go to get a circuit board manufactured at a PCB um, uh, fab, uh, there are certain fixed uh, costs with uh, setting up the job. Yeah. Um, so regardless of the size of your board, you're gonna pay like a fixed amount of money, which usually is gonna be traditionally like a couple hundred dollars, regardless yeah. of how many boards you want um, or how big they are. So uh, like nine years ago, they started writing software to combine their individual designs like Arduino shields or breakout boards into yeah. the panels. So the panels are 16 by 22 inches. So um, and way back then, it would take them a couple months to fill up um, a panel. You know, they'd be like, hey, you know, does anyone have anything? You know, um, yeah. it'd be like similar to like, you know, if, if just people at your makerspace at yeah. IRL was doing it, like it would take you a few months probably to come up with enough designs to fill up the panel. Sure. Um, and it was like that for a couple of years. Uh, and then I remember they opened, they put a page up on the internet where you could email your designs. And then ah. there'd be like a, there'd be a little, um, chart of how, how much time was left, but always be like an order of a week or two. Okay. Uh, and then over time it got more and more popular um, and they got to the point where uh, it was so much work. Um, Lane, who's the owner of the company, um, he, at the time he was a Linux systems administrator. Um, okay. And he was spending all night working on, uh, you know, handling the orders. Um, <laughs> so decided to make it a, a company. So that's how sure. Oshpar came to be. And then couldn't call it Dorkbot because Dorkbot was already the name in the meetup. Right. Because for a long time, for like five years, it was just called like Dorkbot PC, Dorkbot PDX PCB order. Okay. Um, so then he came with the name Oshpark. Yeah. The idea being is um, we have a shared projects area on the website. So by default, when you upload your design to our website, we'll show you a preview. Um, and then there's a button if you choose to, you can share it. So the yeah. idea is that it's a place that open source um, designs can live. Mm. Um, so kind of a park for open source hardware, yeah. so to speak. Um, so that's that's kind of the 
the lengthy story behind the name of the company. Um, How's that stuff? That's inter- the, the interesting thing to me about that is people have talked for a long time about like what does the GitHub look like for yeah. for hardware. And, yeah. I, and the, I think the biggest problem is that the metadata and the, the way to you know the search for information is is easier when it's all text, right? Yeah, I mean, there's to be honest, I don't think there's a great solution yet for yeah. that. Um, so um, our shared projects, if you if you go to it, it's still like the very minimum um, right. minimum viable product for that. Still, right. um, um, we we still have a lot of things that we want to do with it to make it nicer. But ideally, I mean, we don't want to actually necessarily be hosting the design files there. We want to have it to be like a repository that you can search and then be sent along to right. wherever the, the actual original design files are hosted. Yeah. Um, and then the, the main thing on there is like if you do a project, you can um, put a URL to the shared project on our website. Mm. People can click through and order it. Um, so it. like for all the projects I do, like I might post them on a blog or on mm. GitHub or on Twitter, and there'll be a link to order the circuit board. So it makes it easy to... Um, a lot of people to click through, and you know, I usually have like a DigiKey shopping part and shopping cart oh, link, and then sure. I'll have like a link to the Oshpark Share project, bomb. and then yeah. a couple of clicks, you have everything you need for the project. That's pretty cool. Um, in regards to hosting open source hardware on the internet, like there's been a few attempts. One of the ones yeah. that I thought was kind of nice was SolderPad, which was mm. a project out of the UK, okay, um, done by Andrew Back and a couple other people. Um, and because yes, I, GitHub's great. I mean, I use right. GitHub for a lot of things, or in general, Git. I, I like Git. I'm yeah. a big fan of Git. Um, GitHub, due to its kind of critical mass, is it, very it, useful. It's, used like, um, it's like Kleenex. It's used synonymously with yeah. When people talk um, about Git, they just I say. I do definitely appreciate people that um, host Git repositories outside of yeah. GitHub, <laughs> um, because I think that's important not to just have everything be centralized yeah. on one site. But in terms of hardware, there's not like a great solution. I yeah. you know um, so I use KiCad or KiCad, um, mm-hmm. and f- so for our most popular programs that our customers use are Eagle. Yep. Uh, Autodesk Eagle right. and then KiCad or KiCad. Yep. Both of those have a text-based format. So there is some utility in being able to mm. do diffs in Git, but it's not like great. So um, there's some people that have written like some scripts that'll make like visual diffs. But yeah, I do think there's still an opportunity out there for someone to yeah. uh, make like the ideal solve um, that big hairy uh, problem hardware uh, yeah. open source hardware sharing site. Yeah. Um, you know, we all kind of. Um, most projects use GitHub or GitLab, and yeah. then maybe have some additional things around that to be able to visualize um, diffs and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So let me let me ask you. So one of the ways that we start all this out, and by we I mean I, um, is I like to talk about, and you mentioned a little bit when you do personal projects because you share some of your your own stuff on yeah. on Osh on, on, on Osh Park's website too, right? Yeah. Um, but what, like outside of work, outside of um, anything related to what you get paid to do? Yeah. What are you What are you working on, just for yourself right now? Yeah. So, um, in other aside from hardware, the other thing that I'm very passionate about and yeah. enjoy is embedded Linux. Um, okay. So, um, as a volunteer, I work with the Beagleboard.org Foundation, mm-hmm. which is a we're a nonprofit educational. Um, group that um, helps create open source hardware designs for mm-hmm. uh, small Linux computers. Um, most popular one being the BeagleBone. Right. Um, so I work a lot with that platform. Um, uh, so when I'm not working on hardware, I'm usually working on things related to 
uh, Linux or uh, support around the BeagleBone platform. Interesting. Um, so, and I would say like the the thing that I find most fascinating, other than hardware, is the Linux kernel. So, okay. When I'm when I'm not thinking about hardware, I'm usually um, uh, reading the latest development news from Linux kernel, and, <laughs> and, and yeah. I also I maintain a uh, Python library for the BeagleBone, okay. uh, the Adafruit Python library. So. That's interesting. So when you're not working on hardware, you're working on software for hardware. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think you know part of the reason is um, uh, tradition. Like, well, well, I guess I've been working in hardware for, um, or I've been involved in hardware for almost ten years now. But prior to that, I was a Linux systems administrator and a okay. web application developer. Got it. Um, so for the like, for like the first half of my career, I was kind of very high level software. Yeah, um, which is great. It's wonderful. I love I love the internet. But yeah. to me, um, when I first got a like microcontroller development board, um, just kind of fell in love with it. Um, yeah, really liked the tangible nature of seeing your code have an effect in the physical world. Mm. Um, so like, I worked for an electronic component distributor, Newark Electronics or Element Fourteen yep. uh, yep. or Farnell in Europe. It has yeah. different names in different parts oh. of the world. Here in Chicago. Uh, and I was at the office late one night, like deploying a new version of the website, and was flipping through the catalog and saw the microchip pick development kit and ordered mm. that. And that was like my first experience of like blinking an LED on a, on a dev board. Yeah. Um, and it was just like this wonderful thing to me. So yeah. Uh, this kind of got into it further. What was the after first? Then. I was reading something. It's like the first truly reprogrammable microcontroller was like pick or something like it that? It was, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the the microchip pick yeah. um, was like kind of the first microcontroller. Yeah. Um, I mean, Intel also had like microcontrollers back then, but mm -hmm. the pick, I think it was developed for doing some sort of like glue logic in like, or like peripheral controller in yeah. like, like, 70s, late 70s or early 80s yeah. microcomputers. Um, yeah. Uh, meant to do like, in, maybe even like interrupt controller or something like that. Yeah. And then I think they realized, oh, well, actually this would be useful for a lot of uh, industrial pro products and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so I, yeah. That, that's how kind of I got into it, which is why like I guess now um, my interests are mostly things related to either hardware or embedded so, systems. Yeah. So I wonder, it, what, there are a couple interesting things in there, but one, one, one question I want to ask you before I dive into that, in any of that is what, um, if I were to ask you, what's the last project you've worked on that didn't involve computers? Like, mm. what's the last what's the last non-computer project? Depends what? a lot on the definition of computer, right? Oh, Which to me would be does. like anything with yeah. a processor. Anything, and a, yep. Well, a stored program computer. So and yeah, I I would I don't know if I worked on anything that I can think yeah. of that did not involve uh, some sort of processor executing instructions. Interesting. Um, why, do, why is that? What's the, what is it about? Because you mentioned that you like tangible things, right? So, yeah. you know, one example I, I usually give of that is like I had a, um, a design student who ended up interning for um, a game company back in the day, Lunar Giant. And um, he learned how to program here at DePaul, but then we taught him how to program for the Arduino. Yeah. And he said like all the stuff that I learned at DePaul was boring to me because I, there was no like physical manifestation of my code. And he's a design student, and design students tend to think more tangibly. And once I, he said, once I learned, you know, that I could like blink LEDs and do all this other stuff, so my code was made real, that was much more interesting to me. So it's interesting that you like, you find value in the tangible thing to me, yeah, yeah. but but it, it's still related to computing in some way. Uh, well, I mean, so yeah. things that like, I mean, other things I, I'm 
very interested in in, in do-it-yourself making. But yeah. most things I would say nowadays or at least things that I yeah. have tried out are usually involve some sort of computer, right? So I think like 3D printing and laser cutting are very fascinating, though these, these yes. things are, well, they're fabrication of materials, either subtract or additive. They right. They're very much related to a, a computer um, right, code, absolutely. right? Um, which is like a kind of a great example of like, that's why I think it's so interesting because you have a um, you have a computer system running software, but that yeah. software is having a uh, tangible effect in the real world by you know building up material or removing material. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really why I find embedded systems quite interesting. So w one one thing I hear from people who, I mean, so so the maker maker culture or whatever you want to call it um, incorporates I think a lot of traditional things, arts and crafts with yeah. digital fabrication, IoT, you know, that kind of physical thing. And one thing you hear from people on the more like arts and crafts side, one thing that emerges in those conversations is that they're following, like they're following their intuition in some, like and, and when they, they when they say they f they're following their intuition, it might mean like, you know, you're working with clay in a way where it's like speaking to you, it's telling you how to use it. And I imagine that there has to be a similar process for you with computers in that like, Everybody, when they're doing, when they're making something, that you have to tap into. I think, at least, that like that that desire to like figure out how this thing works and how this material works. So, what's the? It, 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 first of all, is that like a fair? Would you think? Yeah, that's a, a fair, I would say yeah. the the closest thing to that yeah. when it comes to electronics is laying on a circuit board. Yeah. Because um, it's one of these things. I mean, it is definitely technical and yeah. and. Um, the way in which it laid out, like, is laid out matters a lot, but it's also something where it's also very subjective and aesthetic mm. as well. Um, and okay. it's one of those sorts of things where you, um, it's the sort of activity that you, you can lose yourself in yeah. for a couple hours. Yeah. Just like tweaking this trace over here, moving this footprint around over there. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those sort of things where, you know, I think you fall into this zone where um, it's more than just making sure that all the, um, the the technical requirements are satisfied there's also right. like oh it doesn't quite look right there like oh maybe i could line this up nicer over right. here you know thinking about the the aesthetic um yeah. of it as well so i is that uh, is that a part of hardware development that it, you find very like is that a com one of the most compelling things for yeah you, i mean i think that's um uh and to be honest before i worked at osh park i did i did a, i did hardware projects but i usually would um, you know use breadboards or perf boards? Um, yeah. And um, one of the one of the wonderful things about designing circuit boards is this this wonderful thing similar to three D printing where um, you know you design something in the computer and then you get this like physical object that mm -hmm. represents what you did. And it's it's very exciting when you're sitting there and you're designing a circuit board because you're thinking the whole time like what's it going to look like? And then you finally get it. It finally arrives in the mail, or if you're yeah. 3D printing, it comes out of the machine, yeah. and it's like this kind of wonderful um, feeling of of seeing something that you, because you know when you're designing the circuit board, you're thinking like, oh, should I do it like that or like this? How's it gonna look? You know, yeah. and you're going back and forth in your mind with all these different trade-offs between different decisions, yeah. and then it finally arrives, and then you know, usually it's you're excited. Sometimes maybe you realize you <laughs> made a mistake. Yeah. Um, though usually there's a way to like work around that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it's it's just kind of this wonderful thing of like something that's um, you know very um, almost ethereal and abstract, then becoming a, mm. a physical object that's in your hand. So could you ever go back to programming only, right? Like before ten years ago, yeah. before could you? Is that something you could go back to? Can you find that kind of 
um, that state of flow in in programming, or is that is this is, is hardware where you know your your programming knowledge you can get you can apply it to something that's more you know aesthetically interesting or however you want to put it. Well, I think aesthetics apply also yeah. to code. Um, yeah. And you know you can definitely get into that same sort of uh, state of mind when it comes to programming. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so it's just I, the off the top of my head, like layout is one of those things where you like. I, I think a lot of people can identify with getting yeah. getting lost in that activity. Yeah. Um, no. I, I, so what is it about hardware then? What is it about the tangible thing that makes it uh, that you, you know you mentioned the the tangible aspect of it you find interesting, and you can get if you can get the same kind of you know aesthetic. Um, if you can scratch that itch in code. What is it about like having a thing that um, that you find enjoyable or different or um, yeah. that compels you? I think it's um, you know, especially given my background where I did more high-level abstract um, systems like mm -hmm. web development. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, those are great; they're very useful. But at the same time, like y you know, it's Running in a server somewhere in a data center, and you, you you're very far removed from like the the external effect that is having in the world. You know, like mm. in theory, yes. I mean, people are ordering. Um, are, are I used to work on an e-commerce platform. Also worked like on a community platform. Right. The community platform was actually somewhat more satisfying because you could actually see people interacting with the platform mm. um, more so than just like transactions, right? On a on a yeah. shopping cart. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just think. I really enjoy seeing like the programming that you do connect back to something that's tangible and physical. Hmm. It's I just you know it's so, it's such a, a weird um, space that you know you, you see this with a lot of so we're in the College of Computing and Digital yeah. Media right now right which up until fairly recently was all about you know the same kind of um, intangible ephemeral kind of things that you're creating but you find like now that we have this this makerspace uh, on our, our campus and students have the ability to take their computing knowledge and translate it into something where they can do tangible things that they're immediately attracted to yeah. the tangible thing and I just I've, I've never I mean I'm sure you know there, there are books out about this and I'm, I've probably read some of them and I just but there's there's something about the 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 the, the effect and the the quality of a tangible thing that that um, uh, changes how uh, you think about your your work, yeah. your work output. You know yeah. that you have a, a physical thing, and I just I wonder what the qualitative properties of a physical thing are that make it fundamentally more enjoyable or different than um, the ephemeral thing. I don't know what what that is. I mean, part of it is probably because we are uh, at least in part like you know yeah we we have. We're, we're physical, right? Right. So I think it's just right. a natural thing to be able to like to, I mean, design something and then be able to hold it in your hand, you know, yeah. and, and see it interact. Yeah. I mean, I think this is why in, in a lot of ways, like um, physical computing and, yeah. and like interactive um, projects have become so popular, you know, yeah. um, like the Open Harbor Summit was just at MIT and I think Media Lab is a great example of an of a organization over decades has done a lot of interesting work yeah. that mixed, you know, both 
like the abstract, the you know digital systems with like interactions in the physical world. Yeah. Um, hmm. All right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll probably I'll keep revisiting this, but um, we got these awesome. Not to switch gears totally unrelated, but this is actually related because here's um, we're looking at, and I'll, I'll put pictures up um, in the show, but we're, we're looking at um, the uh, the Open Hardware Summit's badge yeah. um, that Drew made with the team, yeah, and um, uh, it you know, it looks awesome. And then we're looking at you know some LED arrays. It looks like and yeah. So this was um, so I mean uh, yeah, definitely um, for people that aren't familiar with it, um, kind of a big thing over the last probably ten years, starting with DefCon, starting with um, uh, Joe oh, Grand okay. uh, designing an electronic conference badge for DefCon, which right. is a big uh, security conference in in Vegas. Yeah. Um, the idea of having like electronic conference badges has become more and more popular. Yeah. Um, kind of almost, I would say, having an exponential sort of growth if you look at the number design. So I mean, right. I th definitely think I've seen well over like a couple hundred different badge designs this year. Yeah. Um, both online and especially at DEF CON in Vegas. Um, so for the Open Harbor Summit this year, uh, for our sponsorship for Oshpark, uh, we decided we wanted to uh, produce a conference badge. Yeah. Um, and then, so in addition to the badge, uh, the other idea that kind of came about through um, DEF CON this year. So at DEF CON, two of the most popular badges like the last couple of years were uh, the Bender badge, um, mm -hmm. which is like features the character from Futurama, and that team is called Ann, not XOR. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one of the other popular designs is the Mr. Robot badge, mm -hmm. um, which is done by uh, Brian Benchoff, who's a um, editor at Hackaday. And uh, they came up with the idea of having an add-on standard for badges. So not mm -hmm. only do you have the electronic conference badge that has LEDs or LCD or in the case of the Open Harvest Summit badge, an e-paper display, um, the idea of adding like additional bling or uh, flair or customization to mm. your badge. So um, one of the things that um, one of the things you see here is actually the idea of having a um, prototyping board. So mm -hmm. let's say you show up to DEF CON or a conference and you've not, you know, you you didn't already design your own add-on board. Um, you could just solder together your own components and connect it cool. to the badge. Yeah. Um, so this is an example of uh, taking one of Adafruit's um, LED matrixes, mm -hmm. um, eight little eight by eight LED matrix, and then connecting it to the badge. Yeah. Um, so just, and then it's kind of fun. Can, people can add their own like customization. Um, and one of the people that kind of went, uh, above and beyond when it came to add-ons this year was um, uh, a person, uh, I think Aaron Palmer is his name, he goes by uh, uh, Twinkle Twinkie. Uh, okay. Twinkle Twink on uh, on Twitter. That's, yeah. I don't know if you want to take a picture of that. LED. Um, but he did like over, I think, 25 different add-on boards. Um, and a lot of them were a great example of uh, what you can do with circuit board artwork. Yeah. Um, I think he has a background in, in graphic design and printing. So he used like this halftone technique to yeah. create things that look like images out of um, just two colors, in this case, just yeah. purple and um, white, uh, the purple solder mask and the white silk screen. So, um, yeah, that, it was kind of fun this year where, you know, at DEF CON, everyone had the same badge from the conference, but yeah. then you could also add on your own add-ons. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting uh, um, experiences was, um, like, right before DEF CON, um, and the way DEF CON is kind of composed into a bunch of different autonomous areas called villages. Yeah. Uh, so there's, um, you know, traditional, like, network security and like like packet hacking village hardware or IoT hacking, village yeah, right. and their hardware hacking village. Yeah. Um, but there was a biohacking village and they yeah. were like they were like, we really want to have our own uh, add-on. So um, 
you know, just with like an hour or something, just took, took their logo and threw it into KiCad and came up with a add-on board that had their logo on it and yeah. like a little a little uh, LED that would blink. Yeah. Um, and they loved that, and they had never done any hardware design before. So I think hopefully they got hooked on the idea of making a custom circuit board. So I thought that was really cool. And, and one of the reasons why, um, I mean, on one hand, I know some people think like the conference badges are kind of silly and inconsequential. But I think they've been a great vector for getting people into ah. designing hardware. A lot yeah. of people that, um, especially with DEF CON, a lot of them are maybe software developers or network security um, analysts yeah. who have maybe never done hardware before, or maybe had done hardware a long time ago and had no reason to do it. And the uh, conference badges are a great way to get back into that. Yeah, um, it's low stakes. Is yeah, that, um, know, it's, it's, it's and just like a reason too, like to, to oh, like sure. you know, it, it helps to know that like you want to go to DefCon and have like a cool thing to wear, right? You right. Know? Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of like this um, cool camaraderie of different people that are designing badges. Um, yeah. Which, uh, if people want to check it out, if you look at hashtag Badge Life on Twitter, yeah. Um, this is kind of like an unofficial community of people that are. Um, uh, putting their hearts and souls into designing uh, badges for different conferences, primarily around DEF CON, but other, other, other yeah. conferences as well. Um, and the fun thing with the add-on this year uh, was that it allowed people who maybe would have been intimidated or didn't have time to develop a whole badge just to make something small and interesting That's that cool. you can add on to the badge. So one, a really good example is um, Rob Barrera, who's an electrical engineer here in mm -hmm. Chicago, who I met through um, Hardware Happy Hour Chicago, which I should mention. That's another thing that I help organize mm -hmm. with a couple other people, uh, Chris Gamel and Andy Soa. Um, so hopefully we'll schedule one for November. We just did one in October. Yeah. Uh, but one of the people I met there was Rob Rare, um, who uh, realized the badge add-on standard um, matched up with the Nintendo Wii Nunchuck. Um, it, it uses the same uh, wiring, which is mm. I2C or I2C, oh, yeah, okay. which is mm -hmm. a simple serial protocol. Mm -hmm. um, so he just made this adapter board here, which allows you to plug in a Wii nunchuck into a badge that has the the, the DEF CON uh, badge add-on standard. So oh. um, I thought that was that was kind of a, a fun thing there. Um, and then another the thing we actually did for the Open Harbor Summit was in addition to the badge, we also wanted to, so the badge was assembled uh, by Screaming Circuits in Oregon. They did a mm -hmm. wonderful job, saved us from spending months, months with like having to like us trying to assemble them on our own. Yeah. Because um, we did 300, so I don't know how we would have actually done that um, yeah. by hand. Um, so the Screaming Circus was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, they, they sponsored the assembly, which was excellent. Um, yeah. So we wanted to, you know, but people also like to have something they can build themselves. So w um, uh, we did a uh, add-on board, uh, which was in the shape of the Open, Har Open Source Hardware Association's logo. And Andy So, who's an electrical engineer here in Chicago, um, he, he designed this. So he took the logo for the organization and then turned that into uh, an outline and artwork in yeah. PyCAD. Um, so this was this is an example of an add-on that's just using the add-on for power, but it was a nice thing. Like within like five minutes, someone can learn to solder and put this together. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I mentioned mentioned uh, uh, um, Aaron, uh, who goes by uh, Twinkle Twink on Twitter. Right. Uh, this is one of the bars he, he designed, which is the Lucky Oshcat. So yeah. Um, one of the things earlier this year, um, I have uh, seen this. An I've artist this. Uh, named Louise Driggers had uh, we had commissioned her to do a. Uh, 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 Osh Park themed open source hardware cat, 3D printed cat. Sorry. Why cat? Why a cat? Well, so she was at the um, open source hardware uh, or open source 3D printing festival called mm -hmm. RepRap Fest, Midwest yeah. RepRap Fest back in March. Uh, and she had a bunch of cats that she designed. So she's like an artist who does 
3D modeling, and then yeah. also you can you can get the designs from her online. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, I really want a purple cat that's like themed for you know oh, open source hardware. Okay. So she made a cat, yeah. um, and then uh, people had seen me bring this around at things to, throughout the year, like yeah. Maker Fair. Uh, so then the the, the lucky Osh cat um, add-on came about. So got it. So that's so we're looking at a bunch of add-ons. See, one of the interesting things about the board, the badge board that you made, that I, I appreciate a lot is, and this kind of goes back to the the idea of how some people look at some of these things as I forget what you said, um, for like frivolous or something like that you mentioned or. Well, I mean, so I mean, like there's there's a fair amount of time in in resources, financial resources uh, right. that are put into the badges. Right. Um, and, you know, I could see one criticism being that, like, there are maybe more um, useful or productive ways to, hmm. to spend that time and yeah. money. Um, but I think I, I would argue that it's it's a great way to get people into um, uh, yeah. hardware design that yeah. that haven't been doing it. Um, so don't you think, don't I, one of the other things I find interesting about that is that oftentimes some of the most interesting things come out of frivolous, you know, when yeah. you're when you're just tinkering. Yeah. That's that we were talking about tinkering. I think before we started recording, and one of the things that I like about tinkering, especially in juxtaposition to making, is that tinkering doesn't just imply creating something from whole cloth. Like making, you know, the the word itself, making something. Well, if you're making something, you're you're kind of from the ground up. And tinkering, to me, has always been interesting because you're kind of like in this loose space where you don't really know what you're doing and you might be making something but you also might be like taking something apart as a system and looking at its components and maybe going ah this one I don't really think this component belongs here anymore and then you put something else in mm -hmm. but I, I find that like you know first of all you know just the, with the bad stuff it's really interesting that um, it faces the same kind of crit critique that maker things do which is like what are these people doing hacking um, uh, kids' cars, right? Or well, I was going to bring it up, and yeah. it kind of reminded me a bit of this. So my hackerspace here in Chicago, Pumping yeah. Station 1, we're probably best known for having founded the Power Racing Series, yeah. which is this... Uh, Jim Burke. Uh, yeah, Jim, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Jim, and then also um, Patrick Callahan. Um, mm -hmm. They've been running it and, and going to like pretty much every single race mm -hmm. all, all year long for, like I think, like nine years now. Because, Jeez. yeah. Um, but... You know, it started our space a long time ago, and um, initially I was kind of like, oh, you know, this is this is kind of cool, but like, you know, uh, making power wheels go really fast, I was like, well, it's interesting in some ways, but like, I don't know, that's necessarily like, um, it kind of felt like other spaces at the time, like at the, I think at the time, like Workshop 88 was doing um, like a we space program. We had hacker spaces in space. Yeah. I did that. that was right. Um, but <laughs> what I came to realize about Power Racing yeah. Series and the really wonderful thing, in addition to just being like yeah. lots of fun and, and a good reason to like make interesting things, is really brought a lot of the different hacker spaces and maker spaces together mm -hmm. to the point where like the Power Racing Series is kind of like the makerspace slash hackerspace convention. Yep. Um, you know, and, and we never really got mm. traction on like a meta organization, at least not here in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a couple of attempts over, over the years, but yeah. um, the, the closest thing I would say to that is is kind of Power Racing Series. Yeah. And if you go to like Detroit Maker Fair, which is the first Maker Fair that Power Racing Series happened at, you know, there was over like 40 cars there this year and mm -hmm. like, I, I'm sure there was like 20, 15 or 20 different teams or more than yeah. that. Um, and then that's great because you meet people from different hacker spaces um, around the Midwest and even people drive out from east and west coast. So yeah. um, it's be kind of this 
this wonderful thing where people from different hackerspaces and makerspaces come together and, and share ideas, you know, um, which is, you know. How many people do you think get involved in Par Racing Series who wouldn't have gotten involved in makerspaces or, or any of that stuff for any other reason, but found this as like their insertion point into making things? tinkering with things is that a, a a good proportion of them or is or, or, or I, think, well, I mean yeah. I think a lot of it is teams from makerspaces and hackerspaces but there are teams that aren't as well yeah. oh, um, okay. like there's a group of engineers from Gray's Lake uh, Phantom oh, yeah. Racing yep. yeah yep. Um, so you know I I don't know if they previously were involved with Maker Faire or things like that yeah. but um, it definitely seems to be a, a vector to get people involved in it like I've also seen people get into it they're just like racing fans that like sure um, exactly like Jim is actually a big racing fan um, so okay. yeah. um, you know I think it's an interesting vector to bring bring in people that are maybe very passionate about automotive racing and then sure. Then get into the whole hackerspace and makerspace scene, right? Um, you know, kind of like if you're a programmer, but you you haven't done hardware in a while, right? Badge life gives you some kind of uh, a point to, exactly, to get yeah. started. Um, so the and the great thing about badge life is, and our project for the Open Harbor Summit is a good example of this. Is traditionally, usually they're they're like a group project or yeah. team project, um, and it's you know there's going to be people that are more experienced with software or hardware and then you mm. get to come together and learn skills from each other mm -hmm. um, and one of the other things like with with our badge from the open harvest summit we're running um it has an esp32 microcontroller mm -hmm. which is a very inexpensive powerful microcontroller that has wi-fi um, in addition to that it can run python in the form of micropython so mm -hmm. micropython is a implementation of python um, that can run on microcontrollers which are little processors that have kilobytes of memory and kilobytes of storage. Um, and I found several people at, this, at the Harvest Summit this year at MIT were really excited about the badge because they were Python programmers and they, they weren't people that had done um, necessarily hard development before or even embedded programming before, right. but they used Python maybe for data science um, or for different sorts of applications. Sure. You know, Python is used in all Web sorts of different uh, disciplines, mm. right? So yeah. it was like, oh, oh, I know, I know Python. I'm, yeah. you know, I, I really enjoy using Python. Now I can use Python on hardware. Right, it's and close enough to my my comfort comfort zone. Yeah, that I can I can step just a little bit outside of it, but I, I still feel like I have yeah. some domain expertise. In, yeah. in this thing. So what is it about? What is it about working in groups? So the, you know, you find this pattern. I, I find this pattern emerges a lot when you talk. People talk about making things. Is it's oftentimes not a a, a solitary experience. People join makerspaces so that they can make you know, power wheels, racing things together. Or people who are working on badge life are typically working in groups too. And part of that's practical. Part of that is because mm, it, you know, it's very hard to find one person who can be an expert at multiple things. But I think part of that there's more to it than that. It, it has a yeah. lot. It, you know. It, and, and I know you mentioned you know you learn things from other people as well, and I think that's certainly an interesting component. But you know it, it seems to me like there's something intrinsically human yeah. about it as well. Like there's there's something that taps into the human experience that all of these kinds of projects when you're working with other people. Um, well, you can accomplish yeah. more, right? Sure. Um, so and and um, I th one that's one of the reasons I think I enjoy working with open source because. Um, when you're working on a software project or a hardware project where it's open source and you're sharing the source code or the design files, like uh, you're then able to potentially get other people to collaborate with you on the project. Mm -hmm. And to me, I mean, that's the that's the really the only reason you should be um, working. You, that's the only reason to really make a software or hardware project open source is because you want to enable collaborative development. Sure. Um, and 
I think it's really gratifying to work with other people on a common goal. In this case, mm -hmm. this was the badge. And um, um, real quick, we were talking about websites earlier. Yeah. My favorite website, um, and I think the best community online, is Hackaday.io. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Hackaday has a project-based website, um, which uh, is a great place to um, when you're working on. Um, I mean, it's primarily for people that are doing hardware projects. Yeah. Um, electronics projects, but it has. Um, kind of all the features you need for doing that and it's also like a really wonderful constructive community um, so like when you create a project on there there's the idea of the project log mm -hmm. and then you can you can make notes as you go along and you usually get like really useful constructive comments from people yeah. um, it's it's a really wonderful community there's also a chat um, aspect to it as well yeah. and that's how this um, badge that you see here the open hardware summit badge came to be so um, back in like February I think it was um, the Open Source Hardware Association announced that the summit was going to be at MIT this year, and yeah. and uh, Oshpark we we always sponsor it, and then I approached them, hey, for our sponsorship this year, that we'll make conference badges, and they were like, okay, cool, that's great. So they'd never had um, we had yeah a we circuit board no we had oh, okay. yeah yeah we had um, over the years um, like uh, last year um, Autodesk and Osh stencils um, did a badge that was like a okay. fidget spinner, which was um, a fun and. That was to teach people how to do um, a surface mount assembly with um, okay. a stencil in yeah. solder paste reflow, which is a very uh, useful uh, skill to, to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've had had different ones, but um, it was like, hey, let's make a conference badge. And uh, given how exciting kind of the badge life community was, I wanted to yeah. get involved with it. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I did was I created a project on Hackaday.io, and I said, yeah. hey, um, Oshpark, we're going to be sponsoring the badge. Um, for this, our budget was eight thousand dollars, and we needed to make three hundred, so that was going to be twenty-five dollars a badge. Um, That's pretty good yeah. for everything. So it was kind of like that was like the first thing of like, and then what does a badge need to do? Well, ideally, display the person's name or whoever they want. It, you sure. Know, some words that identify the person yeah. uh, that's wearing it, uh, and then have some sort of interactivity, right? Yeah. Um, and then. So basically, I created a project in Hackaday.io <coughs> and then started listing out different ideas. And we went through a lot of different things. Like originally, I was thinking about using, um, there's now an open source um, processor design called RISC-V hmm. uh, uh -huh. out yeah. of Berkeley. And there's a company named Sci-5 yeah. in, in San Francisco or Bay, the Bay Area that um, is actually making microcontrollers that are um, based on this open source hmm. design. The implementation, uh, for the most part, is open source. Um, so you can get there like, their HDL, which is uh, the hard, um, hardware definition language for the chip itself, and yeah. and put that onto an FPGA. So um, there are still like some some bits of it that aren't open source, and that's something I think over time <laughs> we'll have. In the future, I would say in five ten years, we'll have processors that you can buy that are completely hundred yeah. um, uh, percent free and open source. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but yeah. so we went through some different design ideas, maybe using FPGA, using the RISC-V microcontroller. Um, then kind of narrowed into like, oh, it should have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, and then it was like, should you use the ESP32, which is sure. this low-cost chip, or there's also um, modules with this Nordic semiconductor one, which is really good for Bluetooth. Um, so, and then things like, how do you want to power it? What should, this, what should the display be? So I was kind of keeping a project log of all these different ideas, and then people were commenting the whole time, and then people would join the project, and there was a chat room in mm. there on Hackaday.io, so we'd go back and forth. Um, and then um, along the way, um, one of the people that joined was um, 
uh, Alex Camilo. Uh, so he did a, a lot of um, work on this badge. Um, so mm -hmm. um, he kind of what kinda, does he do? What is what is his? He's a yeah. He's an electrical engineer, okay. a hardware designer. Yeah. So he kind of jumped in. He was like super enthusiastic. And um, before this, I I had been interested. So like last year, I had made my own e-paper badge. Um, uh, with the TNC microcontroller in a display from Pervasive Displays. Um, so that was kind of like the idea I had. And um, he, Alex took some of those concepts. And also, we had um, borrowed some of the ideas Why e from. Why e-paper? What, what is it about? E e yeah, so e-paper is, I, I got really into e-paper because yeah. of uh, wanting to make a badge from Maker Faire. So many years ago, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a badge from Maker Faire. And I got like some seven segment LEDs. Uh, to put like my Twitter handle on there, uh, mm -hmm. PDP7, and then I went outside and realized I couldn't see it at all because, well, mm. at the, back at least back then we didn't have like NeoPixels. So, so you're thinking about usability. So then, then, then uh, uh, I was like, oh, e-paper. And then back yeah. then the only thing that there was was like this um, ten-character segmented display from SparkFun. Fast forward a few years and through um, uh, customer at Oshpark, uh, Yarek Lupinski. I had seen that there was these um, full graphic, um, relatively inexpensive e-papers. So Yarek yeah. um, uh, had done a, a project with this pervasive display e-paper. E uh, and then I kind of took that and turned that into a conference badge. Um, though the conference badge I did last year was, because I was just making one, was not very well op cost optimized. So um, Alex, Camilo for, for the badge this year, did a yeah. lot of work to, to design a system that was um, much more economical, and that's mainly why we went with the ESP32 because it is probably the lowest cost processor that um, has Wi-Fi built into it. Um, there is it, the predecessor, the ESP8266, which cheaper, is cheaper, um, uh, less functionality, and, yeah, and so forth as well. So, um, so it wasn't because of battery considerations necessarily. What is, yeah, so I mean, because with, you get with a badge, yeah. right? There's there's a couple of different things, like you know, what do you want the output to be? E-paper is nice because if you're outdoors, you can still see it. Yeah. Granted, the Open Harbor Summit was indoors, but in general, I like e-paper because of the, the yeah. daylight readability. Also, it's super low power. E-paper only, like if you've noticed your Kindle, you only have to charge right, it like exactly. once a month. It's usually off. So e-paper only requires power when it's being changed. Because yeah. it's actually there's little micro capsules of pigment that are being moved around yeah. by a transistor grid. So when it's not when it's static, it's not using any power. So very low power. And right. yes, I personally don't like heavy things. Some of these badges at DEF CON will have like oh, four yeah. batteries. I don't like that. It's like, like, a primary one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think having the smallest amount of battery possible is, is a nice <laughs> thing to do. Save your neck a little exactly. strain. So you've got a, an e-ink display. I mean, the 32 has, correct me if I'm wrong, it also has Bluetooth on it, right? It does have Bluetooth. Um, yeah, we're, we're just using the Wi-Fi stack. Right. Um, the, the Bluetooth stack for the ESP32 is like not great yet. The, the, the interesting thing, so the AnonXOR team, the Bender badge people, this year for their badge, they went away from the Nordic processor and they mm. went to the ESP32. Yeah. One of the interesting things about BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy on the ESP32, is it uses about the same amount of power as Wi-Fi. As the Wi-Fi really Or at least does. it did earlier this year. I don't sure. know if they've improved it or not yet, but uh, which is, BLE should be a couple orders of magnitude less yes, power than right, Wi-Fi. absolutely, that's um, right. But we're, we were using Wi-Fi, and that was another thing like too, like <clears throat> think about how do you provision it how yeah. does someone access it? And, and so the solution we ended up com coming up with, and um, a lot of this was due to Alex, um, Camilo, and um, Michael Whaling also were, mm -hmm. helped out a lot. And, and the way that we were all working together was just in the chat on Hackaday.io. So yeah. um, I knew Michael Whaling uh, previously from conferences. I had not met Alex yet. So yeah. we all didn't meet until two days before the summit. So we, we met, at, uh, met up at Artisans Asylum, which is this wonderful 
uh, makerspace in uh, nearby MIT in Somerville. So you can get your community, your community as far as building this was, was not an even an in-person like you have to go to a makerspace and meet people. No, it was, it was was all in online. Yeah, it was all on Hackerdata.io um, in in uh, GitHub. Um, so Alex did um, so much of the work on the hardware design, um, also a lot of the firmware work. Made a really wonderful um, yeah. programming test jig because um, yeah. ultimately what we had to do was um, flash our firmware onto all these badges, yeah. uh, and that worked out quite well. It, it did well over 300, and it's still going strong. In fact, I think one of the ni one of the nicest things that came out of the project was the the design for the programming jig, which um, yeah, when yeah. Uh, Brian Benchoff wrote about the badge on, on uh, Hackaday, one of the things he pointed out was, he was like, he's like, you know, I've seen a lot yeah. of badges, but this is one of the nicest jigs I've ever seen, which right. I think was, 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 was cool. Um, so you've got, sorry, yeah. so the e-ink display, how many pins are on the 32? And some of them are analog and, and some are digital, right? Or is that, or are they all? Yeah, there is an ADC. Um, so we use that to sense the battery voltage. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, um, the, the other features that are on the badge is we do have an accelerometer. Um, okay. So and then you've got yeah, a D-pad. You know, yeah, so there's uh, capacitive, capacitive touch buttons, mm -hmm. right? So uh, especially since we're trying to cost optimize, um, mm -hmm. uh, not having to buy uh, switches or buttons mm -hmm. can save money. Um, so we used, and the ESP32 has capacitive touch built into it. Mm -hmm. um, and those worked out uh, quite well. One of the issues with cap touch is calibration. And like your phone works really wonderfully because there's been a lot of engineering and even probably dedicated hardware in it for doing cap sense really really well. Right. Uh, it is difficult to do capacitive um, touch uh, well without like a lot of calibration. So yeah, um, this was kind of a judgment call on like where you set the threshold. Right. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, when we were wrapping up the firmware, like the, the night before the conference, I think we made it a little bit too sensitive. Um, so one <laughs> of the things we noticed was during during the day, um, one of the buttons puts it into the menu mode. Um, yeah. Oh, just real quick with the batch, what it does is um, there's a little about two inch e-paper display that displays text. Um, so you can uh, press the menu button and go into change name, and then it becomes an access point, a Wi-Fi access point. It can connect to that with a phone or mm -hmm. a laptop. There's a simple little web interface you can pull up, enter your name or whatever text you want into the form, right. and that'll display on the two lines there. Um, one of the things we noticed was people were wearing it, and they were accidentally going into that menu mode while they were wearing it. Um, and since we do have an accelerometer on here, um, actually your first guest of this podcast, uh, Andrew, mm -hmm. uh, who's the president of PlayStation One, he was also at the summit, uh, and he mentioned to me he's like he's like you know like. Maybe it should only go into the it should only go into the menu when you're holding Flipped. it um, yeah. when you're holding it in the in the orientation right. where you would be able to read the menu. So I was like, that's a really good idea. So that was like yeah. I think our first uh, user feedback implemented feature. Yeah. So from an um, industrial designer, no less, yeah, right? Yeah. And sometimes it, you know there's there's interesting uh, things that come out of different ways of thinking like that. So that's one of the things I think has been fun uh, even yeah. after the summit's over with um, is. Uh, integrating some of the feedback to improve yeah. it. Um, the other really nice things that kind of came together at the last moment was since it's running MicroPython, um, which is an interpreted language, mm -hmm. um, there's um, the ability to load um, files onto it. <coughs> so sure. uh, one of the features is to start an FTP server, and then from mm -hmm. your computer you can write your own MicroPython programs mm -hmm. and then transfer them over to the badge, and then it'll be listed on the available apps. Right. Um, so without physically connecting to the badge at all, you can write your own programs and load them onto it. So one of the people at the um, at the summit, um, uh, Steve Pomeroy, I think is his name, okay. he was like, hey, I'm going to make a magic eight ball app. 
Um, so oh. he wrote he wrote a MicroPython program for the Magic Eight Ball, uh, and we have that now built into the firmware. But it, uh, I think to develop it, he just used that feature where he uh, started the FTP server and then transferred it over. Um, so just kind of a fun little demo app there. It has like a dictionary in Python of different answers, and then randomly selects one. Yeah. And um, it's also a good example of using accelerometer. So because the magic sure. eight ball, the way it's supposed Shake to work is you flip ball. it over, yeah. and then you bring it back up. So it looks at the z-axis. Uh, it's um, it, it can tell whether or not it's up or down uh, with the z-axis. So were there any? Uh, is will people enjoy listening to this podcast? Most likely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, I'm going to flip the badge <laughs> over now. <laughs> I'm going to flip the yeah. badge over now, and, uh, and then I'll flip back up. Yeah. Was I a good guest? To have on this podcast, that that's the question that I'm posing to the Magic Eight Ball. Okay. Yes. Well, oh, look okay. at that. <laughs> They're not all Thank positive, you. so we just got, we just got lucky there. But yeah. that was a that was a good example of um, yeah. uh, the fun that can happen with someone. Um, I think Steve actually had done embedded programming, but anyone that anyone that had yeah. done any sort of Python could have written their own little micro Python app and loaded it up onto the badge. So the thing I appreciate about this, well, there are a lot of things, but one of the things that, that um, that I, I'd really like to see more people who are making badges get into, but I, and, and I think it goes to why, why making these things interests me too, is that you essentially made a platform that allows other people to be creative. Yeah. And some of the badges are mostly, I think you referred to it to, like bling, right? Like you, which is fine, especially if that's the way you're tinkering and, and learning. But I think one of the next orders above that then, one of the next things you can do is um, create a playful experience or create an, uh, a thing that, a platform that allows people to build things, something that people can engage with on some kind of creative level, um, whether that's through a game or through a platform. And one of the things I appreciate is you, you made, um, you know, did you find a lot of people or, or afterwards, have you found a lot of people using this as a platform to create kind of their own their own experiences? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to more so now, um, like one of the things that I set up was a GitHub, rep GitHub repo for the different apps. Yeah. Um, and um, so there were uh, a, a couple of lessons learned. One would be USB. So in the future, mm, yeah, I will course. never make a project without USB. Yeah. Um, the one downside to this platform, USB is not built into the SP32, but we yep. could have added it. We were trying to be cost conscious, though I think it was a false economy not to have USB on there um, because that limited the amount that people could do out of the box with it. Now you mm -hmm. can write your own program and transfer it over FTP, right. but to flash new firmware onto it, you couldn't do that without making a um, uh, programmer adapter right. board, um, which I did now design. So um, <laughs> actually, I do have that out there. So for people that have the badge, um, there is there is now the design to, to yeah. hook up to the serial port. The other thing that I enabled, um, we got working in the firmware just just uh, last week, was the idea of a web-based um, Python interpreter. Okay. Uh, so that that will allow people to um, prototype ideas yeah. for for programs. Um, the other thing too is we had some badges left over from the summit. Um, so um, some of them I sent out to people who specifically wanted to help make improvements to the sure. firmware. Yeah. Um, Zach Archer, who's an um, uh, uh, engineer in uh, Portland, yeah. uh, he, he had helped create an e-paper library that did grayscale for the, for the mm. called Fancy EPD. Um, <laughs> and that worked wonderfully on the, the badge that I made last year with that pervasive display. Um, and the display we're using in this is from Good Display. And we were able to source this from uh, China for $4.50, which was really wonderful and kind of enabled the whole ability to have e-paper on this badge. Right. The, 
the badge I, I mean, the one I used for my badge last year was, I think, maybe $11 from They're Pervasive. pretty expensive, usually. Um, so I sent one to like Zach and he's going to try and get Grayscale working. There was a couple other people that contacted me. One person ran like a Python uh, meetup in Australia. Um, so hoping, ho hopefully once everyone gets these badges, they'll start playing around with it. The other thing too was I had um, some additional badges beyond that um, that I just sold on Tindy as a fundraiser for the... Yeah. Um, so the Open Hardware Summit has for the last several years now has this um, essentially travel scholarship fund called the 80... Uh, sorry, the 80... <sighs> The, the Ada Lovelace yeah, Fellowship. Yeah. So the idea behind that is to allow underrepresented groups to have um, ability to come to the conference, sure. to come to the Open Harbor Summit. So yeah. I think this past year, 10 people were able to attend the summit through the op uh, Ada, Ada Lovelace Fellowship. Yeah. Um, so uh, just sold a, a round of, I think, 15 boards on Tindy, um, and we're going to be donating all those. That all those really uh, cool. funds to, the, to, to help next year, especially since next year is going to be in China. It, it, some people, I think, need, <coughs> need more travel assistance than, yeah. than, than uh, typical. So let me, let me ask you something, and we're getting close to winding down too, yeah. but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm noticing one pattern. You know, you're talking about you know, this work that you did and how you're contributing back to, to the community in some way so that people can, can, uh, who, who otherwise couldn't come to an event can. And you're talking as well about like you're on, you know, when you're building this badge, you're doing it online, but you're working with other people to do these things. And I mean, for, for probably, I would say a good portion of the people who are, who are going to be listening to this, um, even they've heard your name, if not met you because you're at every Maker Faire and, and every community event. Um, and it seems to me like, um, you know, you're, I, I know you're interested in, in the hardware and in the computing aspect. But it seems to me like the community aspect is something that you find very v valuable. You know, I think you know there's there's something that you get out of of understanding how things work, um, but maybe you know how people work is also interesting. And and that, so, what is it about the the community aspect of, of all of this that compels you? That that keeps you you uh, engaged? You know, you could just as easily make this stuff by yourself or with a couple other people but you keep you keep engaging on all these different levels with you know the maker community and and tinkering and crafting and what what is the what's the reason for that what drives all that i think i mean for me the thing that i really appreciate is the inspiration i get from other people hmm. um and it it's kind of wonderful every every day i wake up and i i go look at um social media for my company hmm. uh in my own as well and like i'm always always inspired by different projects to see people making um, and a lot of the projects I've done it myself are, you know, I take ideas from other projects and mm -hmm. combine them together. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like open source and I like collaborating with people is because, you know, each of us will take inspiration from different sources and integrate them and create something new. Mm -hmm. And then other people can take that and, and continue to, to integrate that with their own ideas and then mm. create additional things that, you know, was something that, you know, I didn't even think of, you know. So, yeah, I really hope, like, with this badge um, that people will take it and, and make interesting projects out of it, things that I didn't even necessarily anticipate. Um, so, for me, mm. community, like, the, like the hacker spaces and maker spaces and, yeah. and maker fairs and maker fests um, and the conferences I go to like the Open Harbor Summit and coming up this weekend Hack a Day Super Conference mm -hmm. like the thing I really got out of it is the inspiration of, of seeing like 
the things that people are doing that you're like, wow, like I never would have even thought of something like that. But yeah. then it'll give me uh, inspiration to like, oh, well, actually, I've always been, wa I always wanted to make something that did this or that. And now yeah. based on, on seeing how that person did, uh, implemented it that way, maybe I can uh, figure out a way to, to build this other idea that I had, you know? So huh. like, like um, a really good example is there. Um, Carl and I, I'm going to blank on his last name. He's in he's in Europe. He'll be at Super Conference, I believe, this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been doing amazing projects with flexible PCBs, or yeah. with um, not just flexible with PCBs, but um, making motors out of circuit boards, which is very mm. unusual. So normally you have like a motor that'll be mo mounted onto a circuit board. Yeah. He's actually making motors out of the circuit board itself by using coils in the circuit board. Mm. Um, okay. So created like really cool projects like linear actuators where I can like, you have a circuit board, um, like one of the ones he ordered from us was just like this um, bar with a bunch of rings in it in the circuit board and like you could slide a magnet back and forth oh, across it. Yeah. Uh, and more recently he got into- It's like a rail gun. Yeah, <laughs> or just like uh, making an inexpensive solid state linear actuator, which yeah, has like yeah. all sorts of wonderful yeah. applications. Um, but just things like that, like, whoa, like I would have like, I didn't even know that was possible. Or yeah. like he just made one that was like a, a, a speaker out of just a PCB by, yeah. by vibrating the PCB. And he just recently started doing flex and he made like this crazy fish that's like just a circuit board, but it uses um, coils in the flexible circuit board with yeah. magnets to um, have actuation and be able to swim around hmm. in a fish wall. And wow. there's things like that are like, um, where you're like taking something like circuit board, which I mean, been around for a long time, and but just yeah. using it in different ways. Um, the other, the other very like inspiring project that I saw this year was like back in January at the Hackaday, one of the Hackaday meetup, LA meetups. Um, a person named David Shorey showed up, and he had been three D printing onto cloth, uh, which mm. was this really wonderful technique, and it, it kind of blew up like on the internet. Like one of the people from Hackaday took a video of it, and like it it spread really quickly, and. Um, You've probably seen this technique maybe out, out in the internet or at maker fairs where, you know, basically you print one layer and then you put down some sort of material. Like a mesh? Like a, it could be fabric. Yeah. It could also be like, um, he was also working with like nylon and aluminum meshes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then printing on top of that. And it's just like very interesting sort of like, I love coming across those kind of creative, inspiring projects that are mm -hmm. using like materials that we're used to like in techniques like 3D printing and, fa and fabric or like, circuit boards and magnets but like combining them in unusual ways mm, you remixing know? systems yeah, yeah yeah and then then that gives you ideas of like oh well maybe i could build a yeah. project that did this or that you know the same thing with the e-paper like i i didn't realize that you know uh that there was inexpensive easy to use e-paper displays until i saw a project from yarek lipinski and that kind of started me down this journey over the last couple of years of doing projects with e-paper yeah so, um, and that, that's, that's what I get out of community is, is constantly being inspired like every day yeah. by like the fun and creative and sometimes also like really meaningful and, and, and uh, useful projects that people, people do, you know? Yeah, that's it. I mean, earlier you were talking about how even when you were just doing, um, 10 years ago when you were doing websites, your most, one of the favorite things that you did was the, the community um, yeah. portal. So, you know, there seems to be a very common theme of, um, working with other people, whether it's online or in, per in person, um, to uh, you know, to get towards making something together or to get towards learning from each other, and I, I find that very interesting. And you see that a lot, you know, in all of all of, of of maker culture. I wonder if you know one of the interesting components is that maker culture. 
I don't know, would you say it, it seems interesting that it exists both online and in person? Like it, it kind of bridges these gaps. Yeah. Much like the things that, that yeah. you know, are being made there too, you know? Yeah. Um, whether you're talking about digital fabrication and being able to share, you know, a design or, yeah. you know, the Internet of Things, which is inherently both digital and physical. I wonder if there's some, you know, it seems interesting that there might be a link between the community and the things that they make. And, and both of the, th that link is, is in the, the way that we communicate and share information and, and distribute information. Um, well, I think, you know, yeah. one of the nice things is like, the barriers to entry are much lower than they used to be um, yeah. for doing these sorts of projects. Um, like when I got started, like that first dev board, it was, you had to program it in assembler. Yeah. And, um, you know, even then it was inexpensive. Like, I originally actually wanted to get embedded like back when I was in high school, but like, the, yeah. There was a book from O'Reilly, um, and it needed a board that was like a couple hundred dollars, which was right. like way too expensive back then. Right. Well, if you, um, who's going to want to tinker yeah. with a two hundred dollar thing that they could? Br I mean, you, you you could brick it. Yeah. And or then what? Just like the accessibility of that. So yeah. I think with low oh, cost too, platforms yeah. now and the ability to work with other people online, it's really yeah. changed a lot. In fact, like. This badge is running Python, it's running MicroPython, but Adafruit has a uh, another implementation of Python that's based on MicroPython called CircuitPython, yeah. which is, I think, the hands down that right, if you wanted to get into electronics and programming right now, CircuitPython, I think, would be the best experience okay. to do that. Yeah. The great thing about it is you get one of these boards like the Circuit Playground, or um, there's several different boards that support it, uh, but you plug it into your computer because it has USB, shows up as a mass storage device, uh, ah. just like a thumb, shows up like a thumb drive or whatever. Yeah. There's a file on it. I think it's called code.py. You open that up, you start programming. That's smart. And then when you save it, it runs. Yeah. So like it's really low barrier entry. Like you know, you open up a text file and whatever text editor you want. Yeah. Uh, you write code and then it runs immediately on the board. Yeah. Um, and that's I think something that's much different than people that got into embedded. 10 years ago or you know 20 years ago mm -hmm. where you might spend hours just installing an IDE and uh, the other barrier to entry back then was you needed a separate device to program the microcontroller um, so like many people's first project was to create the programmer yeah um, like there used to be a way to make yeah. a parallel port programmer for like an AVR that yeah. was always like the big barrier to entry was like getting your program the, the the hardware programmer to work for the chip <laughs> and now with like um things like uh circuit python like yeah. you just stick it into your computer and you can oh, start you writing go. python code immediately and there's things similar things for javascript as well but yeah. just the idea that you can um it's very accessible not to do this and i think also with digital fabrication the fact that you can design something in cad yeah. um and then share it with other people right and then fabricate that object, you know, and then make improvements to it. I think that's really empowering. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing time we live in where people can get involved in this stuff who don't need to know, you know. I mean, that's, that's like your makerspace here at DePaul, you yeah. have uh, both BallsBot 3D printers and yeah. Prusa RepRap, um, Prusa 3D printers, and both of those come out of RepRap, and yeah. RepRap was a, is very much a community. It was all well, about people like designing something, and then other people taking it and improving upon it. Yeah. And because it was a mixture of both online community and digital fabrication machines, you could yeah. design something, print it out, fabricate it, make it better, and then share back those designs, yeah. right? So like, that's the real power to me of like having both like that online community, but then also being able to uh, produce the tangible objects and yeah. see how well they work and, and improve them. Have that physical component too. And then there's, I mean, I mean, we're humans. We, yeah. 
I think generally, if you can connect with people that share your interests, it's a usually wonderful thing. So I think that's why also like the physical thing comes into it too, like yeah. makerspaces, hackerspaces, maker fairs, conferences. It's always really wonderful. You'll have worked with someone over yeah. the course of months, maybe years online, right. and then you finally get to meet them. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, that was very much the case with the badge this year. Uh, I had not met Alex before, and yeah. he had spent countless hours working on this project. And then we finally met like two days before the conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, it's a great way to. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I I enjoy working with other people um, yeah. to to make projects come to life. So yeah. that's a good place to end. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we? Uh, what's where can people find you? on the internet or what, what things do you want us to point people at um, when the, if they're looking for you? Twitter, project pages, whatever. Yeah, uh, so um, one of the things I do is I put up a blog post every day on yeah. Oshpark's website. So if people are interested in what sort of like projects I find inspiring or projects that I'm working on, um, check out the blog.oshpark.com. Yeah. Um, if you wanna find out more about the badge, um, Probably the best jumping off point is, um, you know, I don't if you post a picture, there is this QR code in URL here mm. to like the main website for the badge. Um, but beyond that, the main the main point of collaboration on the badge was the Hackaday.io project. So in general, I would I would tell people to check out the Open Harbor Summit badge on Hackaday.io. And beyond that, check out all the different projects that are on yeah. there because. Uh, for whatever you're into, there's probably like a project <laughs> on there and, and people that you can collaborate with and yeah. get ideas from. Um, I'd also point people to the Open Hardware Summit's website. So mm -hmm. uh, this year was at MIT. Um, next year will be in Shenzhen in China. Mm, yeah. So I think that'll be very interesting. Um, and the organization that uh, runs the summit is the Open Source Hardware Association. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're at oshwa.org. Mm -hmm. uh, and if people are interested, right now there is nominations to join the board of the ah, association. So okay. if anyone out there is very passionate about um, open source hardware, I would I would uh, encourage them to 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 uh, add themselves to the no list of nominees. Um, and where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, I, that I am I am uh, PDP seven. There you go. Which uh, is a, a mini computer that okay. Unix was really originally wrote on back in in, okay. uh, in the six in sixty nine I think it was. Um, and then uh, my company were OSH Park, and I think that covers yeah. it. Yeah, Drew, thanks for joining the the, the podcast today and uh, rounding us off at n number twelve. Yeah. So <laughs> this is great. I appreciate you coming out and and talking, and um, uh, I can't wait to, to to get these pictures up, and so people can see some of the stuff you're talking. Yeah. Hopefully, about. I didn't point too many too much at uh, uh, things because you know. No. 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 I need to learn the radio <laughs> thing of, of uh, not 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 talking about things that I'm seeing. Right? No. No. That's great. I think <laughs> I think we did good. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. That was session 12, an interview with True Fistini. Thanks for listening. Uh, next week we have, um, let me check, a pretty interesting guest. So I am pretty excited to interview them. And uh, stay tuned for what will be session 13. We're in about month four now of recording. So thanks for sticking with us. And um, please, if you enjoyed this show and all the rest, 
subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of your other services and share it with other people who you think m- might enjoy the, the, uh, the stuff that we're doing. All right. Big thanks to Drew Festini for joining us on session 12. Look forward to seeing you all on session 13. Bye-bye. Thank you.